Let us pray. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Exodus 33:15. Dear God, sometimes I find myself rushing through the day and not stopping and thinking about my purpose. I get distracted by daily tasks, work, and errands. I remind myself to engage in godly behavior. But I know that the most important thing is to spend time with you. Father, help me to slow down and stay focused on my purpose. Allow your word to be rooted and centered in my heart so that I can experience the joy and peace that comes from trusting in you. May your presence always shine within me. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's daily prayer. For more inspiration and an incredible message from our feature pastor, stay tuned to Pray.com's Sunday service. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for this worship service. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your holiness. Thank you for inviting us to your presence. And thank you for our salvation. Thank you for sanctification. Thank you for the baptism immersion of, in the Holy Ghost, in the supernatural power of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, everything you have provided for us, for the purpose you have provided, will be ours in Jesus' name. Bless everyone today, without exception, in Jesus' name. Those of us who are here, those of us online, let your hand mightily rest upon everyone in Jesus' name. We thank you because we know you have answered. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. God bless you for another. Amen.
I welcome everyone to our worship service today. It's a glorious, wonderful thing to always be in the direct presence of the Lord as we worship the Lord on the Lord's day. We're coming today to Exodus chapter 19. I'm reading from verse 4 all through to verse 8. Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Look at that. The Lord wanted the children of Israel, the children of Isaac, the children of Abraham. He wanted them to be close to him, that there will be no demarcation, and there will be no separation, there will be no distance between them. And so he said, you see what I did to the Egyptian for one purpose, and you see what I've done to you, I brought you out of slavery, I brought you into salvation, and I brought you unto myself. Notice that. Notice that. He didn't want separation, even in the Old Testament. He wanted nearness. He wanted closeness. He wanted fellowship with them. He said, I brought you unto myself. The same thing he has done in the new covenant. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, he has brought us unto himself. Look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, they didn't say, we're human beings, we have bad nature, we have depraved nature. So Lord, we cannot obey you. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he told their great, great, great grandfather, Abraham. He said, Abraham, he said, here, my Lord, he said, take that to your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me in the place I will show you. And Abraham didn't say, but Lord, you know, I cannot. I've been waiting for that child for 25 years. How can I offer him to you? Yes, you can. And so the following day, early in the morning, Abraham took Isaac, his only son, the bundle of laughter in his life. And he went to the place where the Lord showed him. Isaac asked as they were going on the way, Daddy, Father, here is wood, here is fire. Where is the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for the sacrifice. And he got to the place and Abraham arranged the wood. And he bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. He could obey God to that point. We can obey God. And so he stretched out the knife, wanting to offer his son, his only son, unto God. Old Testament. Don't say, you know, I have such a bad nature, sinful nature. I cannot obey God. That command 
of God unto Abraham is higher, greater than all the commandments we're reading about today. Thou shalt not steal. That one commandment given to Abraham was much, much greater. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet whatever belongs to neighbor. That, that Abrahamic commandment covenant is much higher. And yet, he, he did it by faith. You know, some people think there was no faith for anybody in the Old Testament. Yes, there was. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah, by faith, Jacob, Isaac, by faith, even Rahab, by faith, the parents of Moses, by faith, Moses, he followed God as if he was seeing the invisible. Don't you think that grace and faith are limited to the new covenant. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. You see many people when they read the Bible, they read chapter 19, chapter 20 of Exodus, and they forget the rest of the Bible. They forget Joseph. They forget Samuel. They forget Daniel. They forget Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The people that saw the commandments of the Lord and they obeyed. And so some people, when they limit themselves in a myopic way to only two chapters of the Bible, oh, they say, those Israelites, they made a great mistake in saying, we will obey the Lord. They say they are not conscious of their depravity. Yes, yes, yes. God knew about depravity and God knew about the nature of man and yet he raised up a man like Enoch and he obeyed the Lord. And so God said, now therefore, if he will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then it shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. He wasn't looking for something impossible, something unrealizable. He could do it for them. And he said, this is one condition. I will do that. If you will obey my voice, you'll be a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. Holy nation. A nation comprises of children and youths and teenagers and single men and single women and uh, fathers and mothers. A nation. The whole nation in the strength of God, even in the old covenant, the whole nation can be holy. And if the whole nation can be holy, you can be holy, I can be holy. It said, here is my desire, here is my decree, here is my oppression, that you will be a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These 
and the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, he tells us, and Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words. It even subtract from the word of God. They cannot do that. They cannot obey. They cannot submit. There's too much of depravity in them. How can I tell them? Because they cannot do it. Moses did not do that. He knew the way to the land of Canaan and the way to the promised land is the path of obedience and the way to heaven. The way to the glory everlasting in the mansions above the way to that place is the way of holiness and the way of obedience. And so no preacher should say, I can't tell them that because they cannot. Yes, they can. In the grace of God, in the strength of the Lord, as we come to the Lord, and even imparts his nature unto us, we can be obedient and we can be holy. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. Look at verse 8. In verse 8 it says, and all the people answered. All the people. I'm so grateful. He got me out of Egyptian bondage. I'll give the right answer to God. I'm so grateful. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He saved me. He redeemed me. So what answer can I give to God? And all the people answered together. How are you saved by the blood of the Lamb? How are you saved by the blood of the Lamb? How are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? How are you rescued by the blood of the Lamb? What can we tell God? And because of what he has done, here is what we will tell God. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. That was the right expected answer by God. That's what he wanted. If you have children and you, you know, command your children and then, you know, your children say, Daddy, Mommy, uh, you talk well, you talk good. But, you know, they told us at school, there is something inside us that will always rebel. So, Daddy, I will not obey what you are saying. You will not be happy. If your child told you, you took care of me, you brought me to this life, and you're doing everything to make my life a pleasure. Everything you have said, I will obey. You will not tell your child, how do you give me that kind of answer? You will obey. You cannot obey. There is depravity inside you. You're just a child. You don't understand what you can do, what you cannot do. We don't tell our children that we're happy and then we'll provide everything we need to provide to make them keep their promise. Now when they're saved and born again, how much more if a teacher at school, if a teacher in church tells them you're young, whatever your daddy preaches, whatever your daddy says, don't please him, you're young. 
you cannot be God at your age. Well, one, you're teaching that child to be rebellious against the parents. Two, you are denying God the obedience of that child to his parents, to her parents. You're teaching that child to forget God. And even when they say they are born again, you're still telling them, do this. My daddy will not like that if I do it. He has taught me not to do that. I say, do it. The Bible says I should obey my father and my mother, that my days will be long on there that he has given me. I say, forget about that. You're teaching those children, you're teaching those young people to rebel against God, to rebel against the commandments of God and not to honor God with obedience to his loving commandment he has given to them. If anybody did that to your child, you will not be happy. So there is rebellion in your house. There is war in your house. There is conflict in your house. You will not be happy. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Encourage the young people. Encourage the teenagers. Encourage the converts. Encourage everybody. Here is what God wants. Obedience is the law. Old covenant, new covenant, everywhere. So they said, oh, that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. In First Peter chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 9. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation. That's the church, that's the church. Every convert in the church. Every member of the family of God, everyone that claims to know the Lord Jesus as his personal Savior, everyone without exception. Maybe some people divide them into categories. That's a carnal Christian. That's a committed Christian. That's a converted Christian. God does not divide his family. Christ does not divide his church. But he, all you believers, all you are saved, all you are born again, and you are washed and cleansed and converted by the blood of the Lamb, but he, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you. Everyone called by God through Christ into salvation. It says he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Today we're looking at the message, God's precious provision for his peculiar people. God's precious provision for his peculiar people. We're looking at three points here. Number one, the redemptive price obtaining our soul's salvation. There was a price that God 
page. He said, all the, all the animals, all the bees of the field, they are mine. All the rams, all the lambs, they are mine. Okay, now, let every family take a lamb. A lamb for the house. All those lambs, they belong to the Lord and kill. And then apply the blood on the lintels of your houses. All the animals that were killed that night to make atonement redemption for the children of Israel, they belong to God. It was the price that God had to pay for them. And now behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, that God offered, that's the price. It's the redemptive price that obtains our soul's salvation. Number two, the Redeemer's precepts, ordering the same steps. Is in that natural you come into the family of God and he doesn't want you to behave like the Egyptians. He must tell you the steps you will take that will show that you are grateful, you are members of the family of God. And you're going to Canaan land and the Canaan land with the Hittites and Hivites and Jebusites, they have a bad history. They sacrificed even their sons to their idols. And he didn't want them to do like the Canaanites. Neither like the people where you are coming from, nor the people you are going to. But I will tell you so that you will not say, okay, what will I do to please him? I'll tell you. He will give us his steps and he will order our steps. The same thing when you come into the kingdom of God, you are born again. As you are born again, you are the past life. Egyptian life. And then there is the people, there are the people you are still living among. They are called the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the worldly people. He doesn't want you to behave like the past, nor the people around you now that you are born again. And so he gives us, he orders our steps. Number two then is the Redeemer's precepts ordering the same steps. Number three, the royal priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. The royal priesthood, he wants us to minister to him and then to take his mind and give it to the people, other people like the church. He gives some apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. He wants his saints and you to be perfect. And so he calls you and you are now part of the royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Let's come to number one. Number one, we're looking at the redemptive prize obtaining our soul's salvation. It tells us in Exodus chapter 19 verse 4, Exodus chapter 19 verse 4, you have seen, you are not seeing, you have not seen, you Israelites, how the firstborn of all those Egyptians died. I did that to judge them for pressing you. You have seen how I preserved you and every firstborn in Israel 
they were preserved. You have seen how there was total darkness in Egypt, but there was light in Goshen where you were. You have seen how I brought you out, and you have seen how the Egyptians perished in the Red Sea, and then you came to the other side. You have seen what I've done for you, and all that you could not do for yourself. It is by the mercy and the love and the grace of God you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. And they look at three things we're looking at here. Number one, we're looking at the price of purchase from slavery to salvation. Number two, the proof and the power of steadfastness in salvation. Number three, the pattern of preservation through separation unto salvation. Look at number one, the price of purchase. He purchased them. Look at Exodus chapter 15. I'm reading from verse 2. Exodus chapter 15 verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song and my, and he has become my salvation. He is my God. I will prepare him an habitation. My father's God I will exalt him. They were saved because they were purchased by the blood of the Lamb. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, fear and dread shall fall upon them by the great, by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as steel as a stone till thy People, thy people, thy people pass over, O Lord, till thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Which thou hast purchased. When you purchase something, you know, the value of what you purchase is reflected in the price you paid. And the price God paid all by himself reflected the value he placed upon them until thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased. It tells us in Psalm 74 verse 2. Psalm 74 verse 2, remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. Thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old. Thou, it says, the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed. He purchased them, he redeemed them, he saved them. This Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. He lived with them. He dwelt with them. You see, there are people who think that God dealt with the people of Israel at a distance. Why? They were looking at when the thundering started. And when the trumpets were blowing, and then the people, they drew back. No, that wasn't, that wasn't their relationship all the time. You know, even Moses said, in Hebrews chapter 12, he said, when those thundries were there, I, myself, Moses, I 
quaked and trembled. That was a temporary thing. And yet God spoke to Moses face to face. As a friend speaks to his friend. Well, we can't say because of the thunder and because of the blowing of the trumpet and because of the sight they saw of Mount Sinai, because of that they wanted a distance between them and God. That wasn't their total relationship. When we read the Bible, read everything and understand that even God himself said, I have redeemed you, and then I will dwell among you, wherein thou hast dwelt. It tells us in First Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse 19. Watch, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. He doesn't want separation between him and the people he purchased, the people he possessed, the people that he owned. In verse 20, it says in verse 20, for ye are bought, for ye are purchased with a price. Do you ever think about that? The price the Almighty God paid on you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you understand? His only begotten son, the son of God from all eternity, he gave him is the prince and is the, is the very uh, center of the treasure of heaven. And God gave him to you so that you can be saved for ye are bought with a price when you understand the great price that God has paid for you you will make yourself you will hold yourself precious peculiar pure because he paid a great price on you for ye are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Acts chapter 20 verse 28. In Acts chapter 20 verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves for unto all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. The blood of Christ spotless sinless, pure, eternal. That's the blood he has given at the price for your redemption. Don't forget yourself. You are the purchase of God. When you look at the price, you're so grateful to God that God could offer such a great price for your salvation. The price of purchase from slavery to salvation. Look at number two there. Number two there is the proof and power for steadfastness in salvation. What to prove it? If he has purchased us, if he has forgiven us, if he has redeemed us, if we belong to God, how do we know? Prove it by the life you live. Prove it. I was so precious. I was so significant. 
in the sight of the Lord that he purchased me. He bought me with that great eternal price. Now, if you're truly grateful, prove it by the life you live. When you in at Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9, it says, For the Lord's portion is his people will belong to him. We're not so separated from him, far away. No, how can he keep his purchase? his property, his portion far away from him? How can he deal with them like the Egyptians or like the Canaanites? No! He brought us to himself because the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the Lord of his inheritance. Look at verse 10. In verse 10, he found him in a desert land and in the ways, uh, howling wilderness, he led him about. He led him about. God is a good leader, a great leader. He leads from the front. He doesn't lead from the back. You understand? There are some leaders, they stay at the background. You cannot see them. You cannot get to them. They're far away at the background. And they're just ordering and they're commanding from the back. No, God doesn't do that. God says, follow me. And he leads from the front. That's what Christ does. Follow me and I will make you the fishers of men. And he leads them from the front. He demonstrates before them. He gives them instruction. The teacher does not stay at the back, invisible. He leads from the front. And here it says, he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him at the apple of his eye. How far will the apple of your eye be with you? Don't tell me that God, after saving the people, he wanted permanently a great distance between them. What kind of dis difference do you have? Distance do you have between the apple of your eye and your body? It says he kept him at the apple of his eye. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them them on her wings. What well, the separation between that eagle and the young ones staying on his wing. No difference, no distance. The same thing in our relationship with God. You see, we need to read the whole Bible and understand when he said, I brought you out, out of captivity. I brought you unto myself and I bore you on eagle's wings. Then in verse 12, in verse 12, it tells us, so the Lord alone did lead him and there was no strange God with 
him. First Peter, I'm looking at uh, chapter 1, reading from verse 14. First Peter, chapter 1, reading from verse 14. As obedient children, I can't obey because I have a depraved nature. That's not true. As obedient children, I can't receive stealing. Thou shalt not steal. I cannot resist that. I have depravity. That's not true. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I can't do that. I must commit adultery every time. That's not true. He said we are obedient children. When we get born again and we come to the Lord, he puts that desire in us. He puts the gratitude in us. He puts the grace in us. We want to obey. And if we want to obey, he said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. He that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Which of you being a father, if the child shall ask for bread or ask for fish, will you give him a stone? Will you give him a scorpion? If a scorpion, if he then being able to know to give good things to your children, they ask him for strength to obey. They ask him for grace to obey. If you know how to give good gifts your children how much more shall your heavenly father give good things unto them that ask him if you ask the Lord for the grace that's why we're saying we're not saying to become rebels in the kingdom of God we're not saying to become incorrigible in the kingdom of God we're not saying to become a son in the flesh to Christ and to the leadership of the church if we're born again we can obey. That's why we have grace. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former laws in your ignorance. Ignorance. Then it says in verse 15, But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. In verse 16, Because it is written, Go by what is written, in the Bible. If anybody tells you anything, compare it with what is written in the Bible. If they speak not according to this word, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. If they speak not According to this word, it is because there is no light in them. If anybody comes to tell you, you cannot obey God, you are saved, but you are not sanctified. You cannot deal without stealing, you are only saved, you are not sanctified. You cannot deal without violence and fighting, you are only saved, you are not sanctified. You cannot deal without protest and uh, demonstration. You are saved. You are not sanctified. It's not true. It's not true. Don't allow, you have the Bible. 
This is the age of Bible in every hand. The Bible in print. The Bible on your phone. The Bible on your tablet. The Bibles everywhere. And you can read. Thank God. It's the day of education. We can read the English. The English and the Bible is not as difficult as the uh, English and the, all those equations in maths and physics and chemistry. Those ones are difficult, and yet we master them. If we master the subject that's only useful here on earth, physics will not be useful to you in heaven. Chemistry, mathematics, economics, all those things will not be useful in heaven. The only knowledge that will be useful to you in heaven is the Bible. If we concentrate and master the subjects that are useful here on earth, why don't we master the Bible? It says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Lord make us holy. The Lord make you holy. And don't allow the devil to tell you. Anyone telling you has swallowed up the devil. Devil possessed, devil incarnate that says you cannot obey God because, because, because you are still in the world. It's in this present world he gives us the grace to be obedient unto the Lord. I will obey the Lord. I can obey the Lord. <laughs> tell me, tell me out aloud. We're looking at number three here. Number three here, the pattern of preservation through separation unto salvation. Separation unto salvation. It tells us in Leviticus chapter 20, and I'm reading from verse 24 there, but I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land. And I will give it unto you to possess it a land that floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. That is the Lord, and that's what he has done. I am the Lord your God, your God because I saved you. Your God, because I redeemed you. Your God, because I brought you unto myself. And it says, I have separated you from other people. You will not think like them. You will not act like them. You will not behave like them. The church will not be like the world. I have separated you from other people. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, And ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. And I have severed you, separated you from other people that ye should be mine. Look at that. That's the desire of God. Everyone saved. Everyone purchased. Everyone ransomed. Everyone taken out of the world and brought unto the Lord that ye should be mine and have severed you from other people. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 reading from verse 14 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 wherefore 
come. Sorry, chapter 16. Chapter 6, verse 17. In verse 17, it tells us wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Isn't that the same? The people back then, at the time of Moses, the people right now, at the time, dispensation of Christ, I separated you. Be separate. I severed you. Be different from the people of the world. You see what's going on in the world? You see the waste of life? Wastage. And you see the wastage of property. When somebody is angry about something, we don't like that, we don't like that, they go a rampage. That's the world in the church. Those who are born again. And those who want something from the Lord. If you don't want anything from the Lord, why will you come? If you want to be like in the world, why would you come? You come because Christ has offered salvation through repentance and faith. And he is the one that sets the rule how the church will be. You are not the one to take the law out of the hand of Christ and then you now search the agenda. No, you'll be an intruder. You'll be an enemy. You'll be a usurper, usurping the right of Christ and the right of God. He sets the rule and he says, be ye separate, says the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Look at verse 18, in verse 18, and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Almighty. In James chapter 1, reading from verse 27, James chapter 1, verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted, undefiled, from the world. That's what he wants. He wants separation between the believer and the world. The teenage believer, the young believer, the adult believer, the old aged believer and the world. He wants us to be close to him and to be separated from the world. In First John chapter 2, I'm reading from verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Love not the world, their novels, their books, their cultures, their practice, their pattern, their games, their cinema, their evil things that they use to corrupt their people and to make them stay and abide in corruption. Love 
not the world. Not the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In verse 16, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. You understand that? The pleasures of the flesh. The things that the flesh might be desiring. You cannot satisfy them. There is hunger of the flesh. And we eat proper food. There is thirst of the flesh. And we drink good water and good liquid. Not something that will turn us insane to sit of the world. And there is, of course, dressing. Yes, we dress. They dress. Their own dressing is of the world. They want to show the different anatomy in their body so that they can bring people to loss. We don't do that because we're separated from the world. And there is a kind, you know, they dress so that they can match the latest trade. And the women will wear their pair of trousers and the men will, you know, you know what they wear. Because they're not appealing to God. They're not trying to please God. They want to please themselves and the pride of life will push them to do whatever they're doing. But we, as children of God, the Lord has told us what he wants. If we're truly born again, this is what God wants. And I want to please God by faith. Enoch pleased God. And he did not see death for God took him. But before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. When we are born again and we have the hope of heaven, all we want to do is to please God. What pleases God that we do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's not of the Father. If you pick up something and you say, this is not of the Father, that anything we pick is either of the Father, of God, or Satan. If this is not of the Father, it is of Satan. If you are a child of God, a beloved child of God, a peculiar child of God, wanting to please God every time, why will you pick up the things of Satan. Because Satan is the God of this world. But it says, they're not of the Father, but they're of this world. And then it says in verse 17, verse 17, and the world passeth away, and the loss thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. We're looking at point number two here. Point number two, the Redeemer's precepts ordering the saints' steps. We're looking at Psalm 119 verse 133. Order my steps in thy word. Order my steps 
in thy word. Now they came out of Egypt and they were going to the land of promise and their steps needed to be ordered by the Lord. Number one, the pillar of clouds and the pillar of fire going before them all the days in their wilderness. Number two, the word of the Lord. Number one, his word towards them. His demand from them. His expectation of them. Com uh, commandment number one, number two, number three, number four, and then two, the relationship one with another. The relationship with their husbands or their wives with their father, with their mother, with their neighbors, with everything to order their steps. The Lord does not leave us without his word. Otherwise, we will not know what to do to please the Lord. That's why the psalmist prayed, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Iniquity that, you know, you have observed by observation what others do. Let not observed iniquity have dominion over me. Iniquity by habit that once somebody says, once God says, go right, you say, you, you know what? Everything I hear, whenever they say go right, there's something in me that wants to go left. Every time God says, go heaven, there'll be something in you that will say, go to hell. The same principle. If you make it a habit that whenever anything is said, that demands of you to keep God's covenant. There is something in you that will say, if they didn't say it, I would have done it. If they didn't emphasize it, I would have done it. Now that the representative of God has come and he emphasizes that, you know what? I'm going to do the opposite. Well, it's that representative of God that says this is the way to heaven. And if there is that thing inside you that you always say, I'm going to do the opposite, well, you'll be in the opposite to the way and to the desire, to the pattern of heaven. And uh, you'll go to that other side. When we're children of God, we're so glad somebody from God is telling us, this is the way walk ye therein. Any kind of spirit in anyone that will rebel against that and say, since the pastor is even saying it and is emphasizing it, holiness unto the Lord, I'm going to go the opposite direction. You are not born again. 
If you were born again, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of God. I was glad when a teacher, when a preacher, when the expounder of the word of God, I didn't know that before you open my eyes to it now, I can see. That's what it means to be born again. If there's always something in you contradicting the word of God, you have a rebellious spirit because you're living habitual disobedience, habitual sin is having dominion on you. Order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. We're looking at three things here. Number one, the expected obedience to his holy commands. He expects it. I've done them good. I've saved them. I've bought them. I have broken the bondage of slavery of centuries at the kind of destroying that, I expect them to be so grateful and to be so gracious and obey me. The expected obedience to his holy commandments. Number two, the external obedience with heartless commitment. Number three, the exalted obedience with heart circumcision. Let's look at number one. Number one, the expected obedience to his holy commandments. Exodus chapter 19 verse 5. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 5, now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed. He expected that they are not Egyptians, they are not Canaanites, they are not pagans, and they are not far away disobedient, rebellious people. They are my children. I have bought them, I've purchased them, I've redeemed them, and because of that, this is my expectation. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people for all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine by creation. You are mine by creation and redemption. One expectation I have from you, obey my voice. Romans chapter 7 verse 12. The commandment is a holy commandment. Wherefore, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Isn't it? It's good. That shall not have any other God before me. That's holy and good. That shall not bow to any God. That's, that's holy and good. That shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. That's holy and that's good. And remember, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then not to do any That's holy and good. Good, and you will be your father and your mother that your days will be long here. That's holy and good. That shall not steal. That's holy and good. And that shall not kill. That's holy and good. That shall not commit adultery. Because if another person committed adultery with your own wife or with your mother, you will not be happy. And so, what makes us happy? There's no adultery. There's no fornication. That's holy and good. And 
when it says you'll not bear false witness, you're not telling any lie. Because anyone that bears false witness, anyone that tells lies, all the lies shall have their part in the lake that boils with fire and brimstone. And he doesn't want you to go to hell. That's why, you, because he says no liar will dwell with him in heaven. White lie, black lie, uh, occasional lie, and small lies, and a big short lies. He says no liar will be in heaven, and he wants you to be in heaven. That's good and that's holy. And he says you're not covet whatever belongs to your neighbor. And that's good because if other people covet what belongs to you, you will not be happy if they don't leave your wife alone and they covet your wife. If they don't leave your mate servants and your employers, your employees will not be happy. If you don't leave your property alone and they covet your property, if they covet your car and everything, you, you'll not be happy. He said, what you want others to do to you and what you don't want others to do to them, don't do that to other people. You will not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, wherefore, the law is good and the commandment holy and just and good. In Romans chapter 13, and I'm reading here from verse 8. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Oh, no man anything. Not only money. Oh, no man anything. I owe you respect, page, give the respect. I owe you remembrance, I have to remember you. You have labored on me, you've done this for me. Pay what you owe, respect, honor. My parents did so much. As a little child, I can tell, they spent everything they had to bring me up. I owe them love. Pay the love. I owe them respect. Pay that respect. I owe them honor. Pay that honor. Whatever you owe people, other people have given you a chance to live. Other people, they want you to be happy. They always think of you, thinking of your joy. And they're always thinking of your happiness. I owe them the same thing. I need to reciprocate. Pay them what you owe. It's not only money. As you look at other people and you see what they have done, I owe them some gratitude. I owe them some care. They allowed me to even come to them. I owe them something. You are a wife and your husband has given everything he has. And whatever he doesn't have now, you're saying about this. You know, darling, I don't have that now. But you know, I have always given you everything I have to make this marriage very pleasant for you. You owe that man something. Your allegiance and your totality and your entirety. Pay what you owe. And your wife has been taking care when you were sick. She wouldn't go to work. She spent everything on you. Doting on you. Loving you. Sacrificing for you. Now you are well. And now you, you don't stay at home. You have run to this friend and that friend does not write. That woman has given a very life. Shut off. 
her blood. Even sometimes she donates blood. If she has to, when you get to the hospital and they want blood transfusion, look at that woman. You owe a lot to that woman. Pay what you owe. And that's what the Lord is telling us. You will not cheat her. You will not cheat him. You will not do anything that, okay, she is not here. This is just me. I will do what I like. What you like, he, your husband, doesn't like. What you like, she, your wife, doesn't like. You owe her. You owe him. You owe your neighbors something. We're neighbors together. And I help you to live. I deny myself so that we can live amicably. You owe me something. Also live in that way that you what you owe, you pay. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. The law is divided into two parts. Number one, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and the greatest commandment. What does that mean? I'll not have any other God beside him. That's loving God. I will not bow to any idol that you want to make God jealous by doing that. He created the stone. He created the wood. And you want to bow to the creation of his hand as if that wood or that stone will compete with the almighty God. That's not right. Love God to the point you don't provoke him because you are bowing down to an idol. And then it says you will not take the name of the Lord in vain. Then that's the love of God. If anybody, if you were having a friend and the friend was jesting and he spoke the name of your father, anything of ridicule, anything of jesting, the Lord always say, you know, mention your father's name. You're not like that. If they're talking any, any kind of joke that is dubious and dirty and he mentions your name, you're not happy with that. You say, you love me. I always putting my name down into the mud. The same thing with God. God, our creator. God, our redeemer. God, the lover of our soul. He says, you'll not take his name in vain. Isn't that just and holy and right? And he says, remember uh, the Sabbath day. The it's not the day of rest. If all you do is rest in, you're not remembering God. Remember him. He gave me life. He gave me strength. He gave me all the six days to do the work that I want to do. He demands just one day and re to remember him. That's right. That's right. If you had a friend, he's always calling you. You never call him. And, uh, you know, your friend is asking, oh, what's the matter? I'm the one that always calls you. I'm the one that always sends a text because I remember you every time. I say, maybe he's going through this or going through. I always remember you, but you never remember me. And then you say, yes, you know, I'm very busy. What do you mean? I'm not busy. I'm idle. 
I don't have anything to do and I remember you every time. Ma. We need to remember God. That is so we come on a day like this. We remember his goodness. We remember his grace. We're not in a hurry as if we have, you know, some other good, better things to go and do. And we're in a hurry in the presence of God. How would you feel if your friend is always in a hurry? Anytime you're together, that's not right. Be friendly. Be friendly. Be friendly. A friend will remember. A friend will remember. He remember the things for his comfort. He remember the things for his consolation. He remember the things that, that were minister to remember God. The same thing will come to the house of God. And we give flimsy, flimsy excuses. You know, something is going on in town, but you go to your place of work. It's your work during the week better than the worship of the almighty God. That, that's a love towards God. And now he says we have to have love towards our neighbor. And towards our neighbor, look at verse Look at verse 9, Romans chapter 13, verse 9. For this thou shalt not commit adultery. That's because you love her. You don't want her to be cheap. She is a married woman. You don't want her uh, to, uh, to be unfaithful to her husband. You don't want him to be unfaithful to his wife. And Jesus even said, it goes beyond that, that if you look on a woman, on a lady, on a girl, to lust after her, you're committed adultery already in your heart. If you are daydreaming, even though you cannot do it, but it gives you pleasure to be looking at her in an adulterous, fleshly manner. That is not the will of God. And of course, if you do any other thing of those dirty things, defiling things that people do with women, not their wives, is again the commandment of God. Whether you are Old Testament or New Testament, then it says, thou shalt not kill. If you love that fellow, you want him to fulfill his destiny, his calling. In this, will you not terminate his life? And then it says, thou shalt not steal. You know, you are content, you are satisfied with what you have. And whatever you don't have, you are going to pray and get from God. That's the life of the Christian. And then and you say, thou shalt not bear false witness. How will you bear false witness against somebody you love? And then you tell lies against him. And then you make his life miserable. If you tell that privately, that's sin. If you love people, you will not do that. You're selfish. You're self-centered. That's why you take joy in making other people hate another person by your false witness. That's like Jezebel, Naboth, Ahab said, give me your vineyard and then I'll pay you for it. And Naboth said, no, I'll not give my vineyard to anybody. And then he came back home sorrowful and moody and will not eat and Jezebel said what's the matter? I asked neighbor to give me his vineyard and he said he will not give his inheritance to anybody not even to me a king don't worry and Jezebel wrote a letter to the city where neighbor lived it was all a lie 
Exalt that man. And why you are rejoicing? Let two people come out and bear false witness that he blasphemed God and the king. And then take stone. It infuriated the people. It made them angry. He blasphemed God. They threw stones at him and he died. But thank God he went to heaven. Ahab, where will you spend eternity? Jezebel, where will you spend eternity? And he reported to Jezebel and he said, Naboth is dead. And then he said, Ahab, get up, go and possess by bearing false witness that man had been killed. Do you think of your action and the consequence of your action? It says, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, there are five here, it remains one. That one you'll find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long on the earth, that the Lord has given me. And this is the first commandment with promise. All those commandments, they show we should love God, commandments 1, 2, 3, 4, and we should love our neighbor, commandment number 5, number 6, number 7, number 8, and number 9, and number 10. It says it is briefly comprehended in this Thou, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now we're coming to number two here. Number two is the external obedience with heartless commitment. There are people that only obey the commandments when people see them. And they do it for sure. They do not do it from the heart. That's what happened to the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23, we're looking at verse 25. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Want you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, by the way. Christ did not say that behind the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Telling his disciples and covering his mouth, don't let them hear this. If you cannot say it before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't say it at all. Warn to the scabs and the Pharisees, don't be like them. Can you say that before the Pharisees and Sadducees? Christ will. Whatever you will not say in the presence of the people you are talking about, don't say it at all. Here Christ said, want to use scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you are full of extortion and excess. Look at verse 28. In verse 28 it says, even so, ye also outwardly uh, you are outwardly righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. External obedience, whitewashing the outer cup, 
outside of the cup and internally evil thoughts, defining thoughts, corrupting thoughts and evil, evil things on the inside. That will not get us to heaven. That's why he gives us salvation. He washes and cleanses us on the outside and then he cleanses us on the inside. And we're looking at number three here. Number three, we're looking at the exalted obedience with heart circumcision. Actually, in the Old, Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, we're looking there at verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, and the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Now we need to understand that's still Old Testament and this was still the time of of Moses. And Moses was telling them it's not just the external obedience to the word and to all those commandments. He'll do something in your heart. He will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your offspring that will follow you and it will help you to love the Lord your God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou mayest live. Look at Verse, uh, verse 8 there, in verse 8, and thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command thee this day. Is that kind of circumcision that makes us obey God from the heart, not from the head, not externally. Internally, we love to do it. We love to obey the Lord, whether people are there or not. We love to obey the commandments of the Lord. That's why it says in Romans chapter 6, reading there from verse 17. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But God be thanked that she was servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart. Ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. That's when you're really born again, you're a child of God and not sanctified. Yes, you understand. Even when you're born again, just born again, there's the desire to love the God of heaven, the God of grace, the God of mercy. There's the desire to love Christ, your Savior, so much that from your heart you obey the Lord. Persecution may come. The people who do not know what you have and what the Lord is asking you to, they may persecute you, but you don't mind the persecution. Even those who are young, like you're a teenager, you're a young person and now you're born again and the excitement and the joy of salvation fills your heart. Even though parents who don't understand may persecute you, even friends who don't understand may persecute you, you do it with joy because now it says you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. We're coming to point number three here. Point number three, uh, we're looking at uh, this. It says the royal priesthood offering of spiritual sacrifices. We're looking at um, Exodus Chapter 19, and I'm reading from verse 5. 
Exodus chapter 19, what are you doing from verse 5? Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Now, if God knew they could not, what will he command them? You have children, one of the, one of the children, a toddler, another child, a teenager. Another child in her twenties, you have a bucket full of water. And you're a natural person. You'll not command the toddler, go carry that bucket of water. You know he cannot. And because you know he cannot, you're not going to tell him to do that. Or maybe now the teenager, you see that he can do it. That's why you command him, God commands what he knows we can obey. If he tells us to do something which he knows we cannot do, that will not be a good God, intelligent, understanding, loving. He knew that they could obey. You see, you are blaspheming God when you say he knew they could not obey, yet he commanded them to obey. That's blasphemy. Look at this. God said, now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then it shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're looking at verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5, ye also are lifeless toes. You're not dead anymore. You're not dead in sins and trespasses anymore. Ye are lifeless toes and you're built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Then in verse 9, in verse 9, but here a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth every time, in everything that ye do, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Three things we're looking at here. Number one, the righteous people through his excellent sacrifice. Number two, the real peculiarity in entire sanctification. Number three, the royal priesthood for an exalted service. Look at number one. Number one is the righteous people through his excellent sacrifice. He has made a sacrifice and is the more excellent sacrifice. It's a greater sacrifice than the sacrifice of bulls and animals and rams and lambs. This is the Sunday begotten son that he offered for your salvation. First Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7. Purge out 
therefore the old leaven, that she may be a new lamb, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ a Passover is sacrificed for us. And then in verse 8, in verse 8, he said, Therefore, let us keep the feast not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Because we are redeemed and ransomed and purchased and bought with the price of that priceless sacrifice. That's why we're now live to be obedient unto God. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm looking at verse 2. It says, and walk in love. Walk in love. If you walk in love, you'll honor your parents. Your parents is the Lord. Your parents natural. If you walk in love, you're not still. You'll not kill. You'll not be a false witness. You'll not lie. You'll not covet any man's, any woman's property. It says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verse 26. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. For then must he have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world, as he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's the purpose of the sacrifice of Christ, to put away sin. If sin is not put away, all that the Lord did at Calvary is in vain. You brought everything to just religion, 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 tradition. Come to church and go out, but do not observe, do not appreciate, do not exalt the sacrifice of Christ. He gave that sacrifice so that he'll put away sin from us. In verse 27, verse 27, and as it is appointed unto men was to die. But after this, the judgment, verse 28, in verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We come to number two there. Number two is the real peculiarity in entire sanctification. And look at First Peter chapter two verse nine. In First Peter chapter two verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a chosen generation, a chosen generation. Even the world here, when we are chosen for a particular task. If we appreciate that choice of, of us being selected to do that thing, 
We're very careful to live in a more dignifying way now because we are chosen. We do not act, we do not dress, we do not talk, we do not move like we used to do. We're chosen. And we do not uh, act in a way like that's me. That's just me. But we are chosen for a peculiar thing. If we come to the Lord, he has bought us and purchased us unto himself. And we're now chosen. And we're part of the chosen generation. It's like we have this minister, we have this counselor, we have this governor, we have this, we have that. They are selected, they are elected, and they are chosen. Now that they are chosen to fit a particular office, they don't just roam about. If they've been drinking, uh, you know, alcohol, palm wine, on the booker on the side of the road, now they are different because they're chosen. And they do not do those things anymore. And if an old, old friend that they were playmates or just come maybe there in the public and uh, they, they, they function and this old friend, maybe girlfriend of the pastor, just come and say, hello, so and so. Yeah, well, you know, his face will be plastic. He'll be saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing. And that fellow is saying, ah, so and so. Don't you know me? And he will not respond why he is chosen and selected until the security that he knows will come and drag that woman, that man away. He is our governor. You cannot be relating to him that you were doing before, before he was chosen. We need to understand that in our Christian life. Now we are chosen. And because we're part of the chosen generation, it says now, we're royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that he should show forth the princes of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hebrews chapter 13, I'm reading from verse 12. It says, Well, for Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered without the gate. In verse 13, verse 13 says, It says, Let us therefore go forth unto him outside the camp. Without the calm, if you remain in society and you're not isolated from society, if you mix with the society and drink what they drink and do what they do and act the way they act, if you're so much in the midst of society and you're trying to please them, you will not have the retention of salvation and you cannot have entire sanctification. We have to come out. We have to come out. It's not just sanctification in the head. It's the sanctification and purification of the heart. It says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp. Bearing his reproach in verse 14, verse 14, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Titus chapter 2, we're looking at verse 14. Titus 
chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself that the sacrifice, great sacrifice, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Number three, we're looking at number three here, and number three says the royal priesthood for an exalted service. The royal priesthood for an exalted service. Now that we come into the kingdom, we're saved, we're sanctified, and we're baptized in fields, in dwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we're called to the service of the Lord. The service of peculiar people of royal priesthood. And we do that with more strength, more concentration, and more conviction, and more consecration than any service were rendered in the world. You, you might be in a particular profession now I was in the past and I took my profession seriously and I took my students seriously and I took the curriculum I was teaching seriously I didn't teach haphazard I didn't teach with a careless mind I put everything I had into the service of teaching those students, whether primary, I did, secondary, I did, university, I did. And when I taught, I was thorough, everything I knew. And my students, by the grace of God, they always made the majority of them distinction. And now I come to serve, serving the Lord more than serving the principal of a school or the provost of a college or the vice chancellor of a university. Now I serve in the service of the Lord and I teach heaven sent curriculum, the word of God. And I'm supposed to contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints and earnestly do that. Now, I can compare my service at that, at that time, many years ago, with my service today. You can do the same thing. How do you do your service in the world? How do you do your service now? Unto the Lord. That's why we need to consider the royal priesthood we have for an exalted service. And it tells us in First Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 5, it says, Ye also as lively stone. You are washed in the blood of the Lamb and the deadness of your old life has been taken away now as lively stones were built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You will be asking the question, is your service acceptable unto God. Are you doing 
what she has called you to do? Are you doing other things in the service of the Lord, which is not what he has called you to? Look at verse 9. In verse 9, but she a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth that's what to show forth. Don't show forth the ugly nature. Don't show forth the satanic nature. Don't show forth a rebellious nature. Don't show forth a disobedient nature. Show forth the good, gracious nature he has given you now that it should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He tells us in Romans chapter 12, I'm looking at verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercy that saved you, the mercy that called you into service, the mercy that sanctified you, the mercy that makes him to go to heaven to prepare mansions for you. It says, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice holy if your body is not holy you cannot do any service to the Lord if your hands are defiled if your mouth is defiled if your intelligence is soiled by all those pictures of the world if your body your life is not holy you cannot render any service to the Lord it says that you are living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Then he says in verse 2, he says, and be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that she may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're looking at verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6, not with eye service. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Doing the will of God, obeying the word of God from the heart. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, with good will, doing service. With good will, if you are born again, if you are really serving the Lord and you are not serving the world and you are not serving yourself, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. In verse 8, in verse 8 it says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. The Lord is always watching, always evaluating, always analyzing, always uh, quantifying what we do and always putting the value on what we do to make sure that we are from our heart, we are born again, and we are royal priesthood, and we are holy nation, and we are offering to God from the depth of our heart. And because of that, he is the one that will reward us, whatever any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be 
born, whether he be born or free. In Colossians chapter 3, I'm reading from verse 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. Whatever you do, don't sleep on God and don't sleep on the work of God. Your heart, your life, your passion, everything you've got, whatsoever you do, do it heartily. You're obeying the commandment of God. Bring all your heart into that. That's the commandment of God. He wants me to obey. I'm so excited. I'm a child of God and I'm going to be obedient to the Lord with my heart, with my soul, with my mind. Whatsoever Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. And then in verse 24, he tells us, knowing that of the Lord shall ye receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ, the Christ who died for you, the Christ who paid such a price to have you saved. It says anything you do, everything you do, you're doing it for the Lord. Are you evangelizing? You're doing it for the Lord. Are you teaching the word of God? You're doing it for the Lord. Are you establishing the new converts in the faith? You're doing it for the Lord. Are you honestly contending for the faith? Once believe what one says, you're doing it for the Lord and you're not expressed tiredness and laziness and weariness and dullness because you bring all your heart or your mind or your soul into everything knowing that of the Lord he shall receive reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Christ in verse 25 verse 25 but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done he that doeth the work of the Lord sluggishly, he that doeth the work of the Lord unfaithfully, he that doeth the work of the Lord in a fleshly way, he that doeth the work of the Lord with hypocrisy, he that doeth the work of the Lord in a shoddy manner, not acceptable to the Lord, he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons of seeing today what the Lord has called us to because we're the precious people of God, the peculiar people of God and God has given us the law, the commandment we should obey and we should do it with all our heart, all our soul and all our mind so that on the final day he will reward us, he will reward you in Jesus name. Now as we come to the Lord to pray, why not pray like you know, you use your prayer, you want to bring your heart your soul, your mind, everything you've got. And remember, today is the Lord's day. The whole day belongs to the Lord. You want to honor the Lord by giving him the respect and the honor that he deserves. It's our Savior, it's our sanctifier, it's our baptizer. He goes, the one that makes all provision for us. And you want to be happy and excited. And you look at your life. If your life has not been matching up with what he demands and what he expects, then you want to come before the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for the sanctification. Now I realize who I ought to be peculiar, precious before you. And you come with that mind, the Lord will answer your prayer.
I said, the Lord will answer your prayer. Look at the past and look at all the things, the way we've been appearing before God and what we're, how we've been acting before God and then come now and lay everything on the altar like Abraham laid Isaac on the altar. Lay yourself on the altar and say, oh God, here I am. Pardon me, purge me, purify me, sanctify me, restore me, and let me be the man, the woman I ought to be as part of the holy nation and the royal priesthood. Open your mouth and pray unto the Lord. The podcast, The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham, is a moving and inspiring biblical audio experience that will help you master wisdom from the world's greatest book, in each episode, you'll learn to apply biblical principles to everyday life. Each cinematic episode is a journey through the Bible's most profound stories that will strengthen your appreciation of the Word and inspire you to keep learning. Listen to The Bible in a Year with Jack Graham on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.